Welcome to High Lawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We're so glad you've decided to join us, and now we invite you to grab your Bible, if you're able, as we pray that you will be blessed by the preaching of the truth of God's Word today. This will probably be the concluding sermon in this series that I've been preaching for the past few months, what we would call the ordinary season. That's the time between Easter and when we start to gear up for Christmas. Or as we would call it in the, uh, in the music ministry end of things, the C word. I know that it's a joyous time of year for many. But I do ask your prayers for those that are getting ready to help us to celebrate uh, that time of year as we put it together. But anyway, I'm, as I was looking into, we've been taking images out of Luke out of Luke's account of Jesus' life and his earthly ministry and the way that we're supposed to imitate that life. Living after Christ's example is not an easy task. So I wanted to find a a capstone sermon of his that um, kind of summarized a lot of things that we need to consider. We've already talked about his view of the great commandments about uh, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Love your neighbor as. And the one that he gave us when he issued the, the New Testament during the Lord's Supper, which was love one another as I have loved you. So now in this passage, which takes place before then, um, granted, if, if I ever write these up, I'll have to flip-flop the order. But this one has to do with the exercise of an intimate, close, personal relationship with God. The type of relationship, in fact, that He is intended for us, that He desires from each and every one of us. So we're taking a look. If you would, take out your copy of God's Word with me this morning and turn to the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 11. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. We're going to begin with the top of the passage, where one of his disciples asks him a very odd question. He he asks Jesus, the master teacher here, would you please give us my favorite sermon? I'll explain that in just a second. But as we read together from the Word of God, in verse 1, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now remember that John the Baptist had basically left his disciples to Jesus. Then a good chunk of those that had followed after John are now following after this rabbi. And after they overhear him praying... Presumably, he wanted some solitude, but after they overhear him, uh, they come to him. And, and, and like so many times, Pastor, you remember that one time that you taught us this? Or, or there's this one pastor that I always love to hear from. Would you please, this one passage of Scripture, would you please concentrate on that this coming Sunday? 
So this disciple is asking him, would you please teach us to pray? That's an amazing responsibility that we have. Whenever I open us up, and I have a voice that's worth opening us up, I always, half-jokingly, start out with the words, let's do something radical. Because if you think about what prayer is, prayer is a unique responsibility and privilege that we as Christians have. According to the Apostle Paul, at least I believe it's the Apostle Paul, the writer of Hebrews, we have the right to go boldly before the throne of grace to make our petitions known that we might receive mercy in our hour of need. And that's something that we don't take lightly, but that's something that we need to exercise often. Now imagine that for a second. Of all of creation and of all the religions that there have ever been, there's usually a, a preamble, something that you have to do before you pray. Or you can't go directly to God. You have to go through somebody else, an intercessor. But no, Paul instructs us that through the blood of Christ, you don't have to have a go-between. You don't have to have a special language. You can go directly to God whenever you want. You can go to God personally whenever you want. Lay your burdens upon Him and know that He hears us when we call. What a fantastic blessing that is. So verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father. And again, this is, this is Luke's version. I'll talk about this in just a second. Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Now remember, Luke is a physician. Luke didn't have a first-hand account of the life and the earthly ministry of Christ. Luke was someone that came after Christ on Paul's behest to go and collect stories from around Judea and Asia Minor to try to find the people who had that direct first-line contact with Jesus and to help Paul basically prepare his court documentation for when he went before Nero. So he had to gather all these stories. And thanks be to God that they were preserved for us so that they could become what we know as Luke volume 1, the gospel, and Luke volume 2, the book of Acts. So he's going on secondhand accounts. When we get to, to Matthew's gospel, however, Matthew, as we know, was a customs agent of the Roman Empire, which not only meant that he had to speak in multiple languages, but that he knew how to take shorthand. So whenever we meet, read Matthew's gospel, we're basically not only getting the biographical information of Jesus, but we're also getting Matthew's notes, his class notes, from when he was sitting at Jesus' feet. So when we hear Luke's account, it's in brief, but there are things nevertheless through the superintendence of the Holy Spirit that we ought to pay attention to. Now before we get any further, I have a couple of stories to share with you. Um, the first has to do, strangely enough, with a monk who took this stuff very seriously. In fact, there are a couple of other 
heroes of the faith that I'll be presenting to you shortly. But in this one instance, the story goes that there was a barber who was minding his own business when all of a sudden someone came into his shop one day. The barber's name was Peter. The person that came into his shop was in desperate need of a shave and a haircut. And he also had to happen to be an outlaw. Someone where there was a live or dead, living or death, bounty on their head. The, co- the person comes in and he asks for the shave and a haircut. And as he's sitting down in the barber's chair, this barber named Peter, this, this image flashed on his head that all he has to do to collect that king's ransom of a reward with that, with that razor blade in his hand is just accidentally slip just a fraction of an inch and he could easily collect it. Now, when you tell that story, the image conjures up of an Old West scene where boots are clanking down, you hear spurs rattling, but that's not the case. This happened in Germany during the late Middle Ages. And the problem, the reason that that stayed Peter's hand on that blade was the fact that the person in his chair was his teacher, was his spiritual mentor, was his pastor. The person in the chair, his name was Martin Luther. And the princes of Germany around him, the Holy Roman Empire at the time, were wanting him dead. All but the one whose town he happened to be in at the time. So Peter comes over, he he leans in his ear after he trims him off, and he says, Brother Luther, could you teach me how to pray? Something that had been weighing on his heart for a long time. I still feel that disconnect with God. I still don't feel like I can go before him myself. Like I have to, to produce just the right words or just the right language. I'm not a good speaker. I don't have all these flowery things that I can do. Do I have to repeat the same words that you do every Sunday? Do I have the right to go with my own words? Do I even have the right words? What do I do? So Luther does what any good pastor would do in that age. He says, let me think about it. And he goes back home, he takes out quill and pen, and he writes him a 20-page book. He probably knew what was going on in Peter's mind and wanted to give him a little bit of a joke, but he probably also wanted to give him as full account as he could. But the point is, the matter of prayer is something that we need to take seriously. Uh, In regards to that matter, he, he spoke. No one can believe how powerful prayer is and what it can affect except those who have learned it by experience. Whenever I have prayed earnestly, I have been heard and have obtained more than I have prayed for. God sometimes delays, but he always comes. I would take issue with Dr. Luther there to say that God's timing is always perfect. But I know what he means. God doesn't always answer our prayers in the way that we expect or in the timing that we expect. But nevertheless, if you're in Christ, as we're about to discover, He does answer your prayers. He always hears the prayers of His children. Which raises the question of what Jesus is having to demonstrate now Himself. What is prayer? 
Write this down or take out your cell phones and snap it, whatever you have to do. But remember, this prayer is the creation communicating directly with their creator. When I say it is radical that we have the ability to pray, you can go at any moment in time before the very creator of all that exists and talk to him one-on-one. -on -one. That is radical. Prayer is also the first step of Christian obedience. Whenever we come to Christ, whenever we accept Him as Savior and Lord, notice those two have to go in tandem, what is the first thing that we do? We come before the altar, we walk down a, an aisle like that during the time of invitation, and we pray, God, forgive me a sinner. The establishment of that two-way connectivity, that happens with prayer. God, prayer is also God including you in what he's about to do. Let me say that one more time. Prayer is God including you in what he's about to do. Let me explain that. Does God ever change his mind? No. God knows what you need before you, before you ask him. So he already has in mind what he's about to do. But this is his opportunity. This is his desire to include you in the work of the ministry, to include you in a display of grace, to include you in the outpouring of His mercy. Prayer is God's way of including you in what He's about to do. It's also the most basic act of devotion. When we go before Him and when we bow our hearts to Him and when we let Him know what's going on in our lives, what we're curious about, what our needs are, what our struggles are, this is the most basic way that we humble ourselves before our Creator and let Him know that we love Him. The most simple act of worship is to pray. It's also how we display our intimacy with God. It's how we communicate with Him. And it's something that He desperately desires of us. Now, in the model prayer that, we give, that uh, Jesus gives to us, there's a couple of things. This is just what Luke gives us. This is the dressed down version. And when Jesus is doing, he's not telling them, okay, every time you pray, I want you to repeat these exact words. What Jesus is doing is giving them a model of things, a way to organize themselves, because if they're nervous about going before your creator, this is a way to help unwind that. Number one, addressing and acknowledge God as Lord. That's why it's so vital that when we come before the throne of grace for the very first time, we don't accept Him merely as the Savior and the sacrifice so that we can live guilt-free. There's also the fact that we have to come under His obedience. God is not our great ATM machine in the sky. We are His servants. We are the disciples of Christ called Baptists. He is our Lord. And the first thing that we do when we, need to, when we address God is to reverence Him. Which cleans up to number two. Hold the name of God in reverence. What's the second, uh, the second commandment? God will not hold those guiltless who use His name in a cavalier manner. We, we, in our time, we have, by in our time, I don't mean this worship hour, I mean in general, we see this buddy Christ image popping up all over the place. That Jesus is our buddy. Now, Jesus is available to us whenever we need him to be. Don't get me wrong there. 
but to, cre- to, to treat the very creator of the universe and the king of all that exists in a common cavalier fashion is not okay. Reverence the name of God. Treat him with the glory and the dignity which he is due. Commit ourselves to the service of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That one day that we pray as we go over our revelation study every Wednesday night, one day upon this earth, upon the created natural realm, your will will be conducted and carried out exactly with, with, with this same awe, wonder, splendor, and exactness that it does right now next to your throne. What a day that will be. There also needs to be a peace between the creation and the creator. That's one thing that we need to pray for. Make my will as yours. Let me know the mind of God. How many times did David and did Moses pray that prayer? Let me know your will. Let me know your ways, O God. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Ask for forgiveness often. I remember watching, I'm going to reference a movie that deals with Catholics. I'm talking about three monks. Please forgive me. I am not going Catholic on you here. But this movie is called Two Popes. And I remember seeing, uh, in this one scene, there's Pope Benedict and then there's the future Pope Francis. They're having this discussion together. And, and one is hearing the other's confession. And the, the older man looks over to, uh, well, he, he prays to heaven. Uh, God, forgive me for not having loved you above all things as I am commanded to do. And among all the venial sins that are too numerous for me to even list. And Pope Francis looks at him and says, you can do that? I didn't know you could do that. That's helpful. But how many days when we wake up in the morning, how long is it before we actually goof up? Before we sin, that before we unknowingly commit an act or make a decision on our own, on our own wisdom, in our own strength, without consulting God. Pray for forgiveness often. Pray for forgiveness often. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Commit yourself. Commit yourself to the same love. I'm getting out of place. My apologies. But commit yourself to being a display of love just as Jesus was. And also seek God's providence and provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Matthew, when he writes down this passage of Scripture, he's putting his biography of Jesus' life together that we call his gospel. He mentions a lot of these different things, but he adds some more teaching. Again, he was sitting at the feet. He was trying to pen fervently every word that he could get down. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. I tell you, they have the reward. The Pharisees of the day, that was one of the things that they were known for, their beautiful flowing words. But they didn't pray to go to God and communicate with God. They didn't really even pray to ask for mercy to the people under their care. What they were praying for is to be seen and heard. Man, doesn't he speak good? 
Man, I would love to hear that guy. We have, we have pastors today that suffer this thing. That they are not there for the sake of ministry, that they are there to be seen. And Jesus is saying, whatever you do, don't be like this because they will get the reward. If they study rhetoric, if they study uh, the hermeneutics, if they stir, uh, study homiletics, those other $40 words that I've shared with you over the course of the past few years, if they do all that stuff and they have that flowery, flowery language, when they get those thank yous and when they get those handshakes and when they get the nice spot in the synagogue, that's their reward. The reward isn't waiting for them in heaven. But you, Jesus continues, when you pray, go into your room, go into your prayer closet. Don't fall to the trap of pride. But seek God earnestly in private. When you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in the secret place will reward you openly. Now this is not a commandment not to get together and pray in open worship meetings like this. Excuse me, but it, it is a prayer that we demonstrate that personal sense of devotion, not for the sake of being heard by anybody except for God. So prayer is not the drawing of attention to oneself at God's expense. Prayer is not seeking to be worshipped rather than to engage in worship. Prayer is not an opportunity for self-promotion. Jesus continues, when you pray, do not use the vain repetitions that the heathen do. I want you to underline this in your copy of God's Word. Because this is all kinds of pervasive in our culture right now, especially for some crazy reason in the churches. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. In other words, incantations. Somebody else's words that they promise if you pray this way, you'll get something. Just pray it over and over and over again with all of your heart. Jesus commands us not to do that very thing. Do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you need before you ask them. So prayer is not the repeating of pre-written texts again and again and again in an incantation kind of way. It is not, also, it's not bending the will of God to our own. God is sovereign, God is Lord. Now we pray that his will might include mercy. We pray that his, clue, that his will might include grace. We pray that his will might include provision. But always remember who's in control. Always remember who's in control. God is also not siphoning power from the divine. This is what Jesus means by the pagans. Don't, me, don't make me powerful. Just use me as you will. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. In this manner, pray ye therefore. And you can, if you all know this passage, if you can join with me. I've used the KJV, but we know that with the words trespasses, so just insert what you already know to be true, and we'll just move the slides. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, many points of that as being part of the, the King James text. In fact, it comes from the Jerusalem Bible, which is an even older text. I'd like to mention that to some of our KJV-only brethren, but that's another sermon. Let's move on. Do not pray. This is what uh, Matthew includes in the model prayer. Restrain the enemy's attacks. Hold back the attack of the enemy. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. Acknowledge God's sovereign will. For thine is the kingdom, is the power, is the glory forever. And we end with the phrase, Amen, which literally means, so be it. When a bunch of people say it together, it's more commonly translated as, so say we all. When Jesus says, if you come together in agreement, that's what he means. That one word is an acknowledgement of agreement. And when you're in private, it's an acknowledgement that you are seeking after God's will in this prayer. You can talk to him however you want to. You can pour out your emotions however you need to. The book of the Psalms, which are David's prayers before God, a lot of them are what we call, actually more than half, are what we call the woe Psalms. They're actually David arguing with God. Do you ever think about that? But this is intimacy with God. God, I'm struggling here. God, I have issues. God, I don't know where you are in this place. God, I feel so alone. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22 that Jesus quotes from the cross. This is intimacy. Sometimes intimacy means that we cry before our Creator. But it also means that we acknowledge the fact that even in our darkest hours, even at the times that we can't necessarily see Him there, even when the world seems to be coming down all around us, we know that God is omnipresent, which means He's right here. A French monk by the name of Brother Lawrence wrote a book that I've referenced earlier called The Practice of the Presence of God. I know you'll have trouble seeing that on the screen, but let me read it for you. It'll show up better if you reference this back on our, our live stream. But he was a crippled man who was a devout theologian. And his primary function in the monastery where he lived was washing dishes. But so devoted was he even in his pain, even in his agony, even in the fact that he couldn't walk, save with assistance, great assistance. Whenever somebody came to him with questions, with answers, or needed devotional help, or just was having a hard day, he was the one that was there for them. But he always remembered. He, he treated his entire life like it was one long extended conversation with God. Even when he was washing the dishes at the monastery, if a brother came by and wanted his help, he would lift his voice to heaven and say, please give me a moment, Father, from my duties as I tend to my brother in need. Because even though this was a menial task in our eyes, this was how he served the creation and the creator. 
knowing that God was right beside him all the way. And he writes to us, the difficulties of life do not have to be unbearable. It is the way we look at them, though, through faith or unbelief, that makes them so. We must be convinced that our Father is full of love for us and that He only permits trials to come our way for our own good. So let us, therefore, occupy ourselves entirely in knowing God. The more we know Him, the more we will desire to know Him. As love increases with knowledge, the more we know God, the more we will truly love Him. We will learn to love Him equally in times of distress or in times of great joy. God's always there. No matter what you're going through, no matter what pain you've suffered, no matter what this fallen world has put in your path, God is always there. Do we acknowledge it? Do we treat it that way? Paul writes, pray without ceasing. Now that doesn't mean that every single sentence that you utter with your mouth happens to be directed or addressed to him, but that means that every moment that you live, there is freedom in the fact that God, your helper, your Lord, and the lover of your soul is right there. The writer of Hebrews gives us, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid before the eyes of him who we must give an account. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Therefore, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Pray from your own personal experiences. You don't have to use somebody else's words. In fact, Jesus says the preference is that you don't. And know that God will hear your prayer because he walks with you. The word paracletus used to describe the Holy Spirit literally means he who walks beside. We require no earthly authority, no priest is needed for us to go directly before God. We can go to Him directly because our great high priest happens to be God. God incarnate, the God who sacrificed for us is the same person who right now is ever making intercession on your behalf before the God who created everything. Do you know that? When you pray, your prayers are echoed by Him who saved your soul. Asking for mercy for you. We require no priest because it is God Himself through Christ who intercedes for us. Jesus Himself goes on to say in the Gospel of John, I tell you, whoever believes in Me will do the works that I have been doing. Meaning, with faith, comes a constancy with the will of God. That harmony is important. Watch this. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. If you haven't already gotten this underlined in your word, in, in your copy of God's word, do so right now. John chapter 14, verse 13. 
If you ever wonder why do we tack on the phrase, in Jesus' name I pray, amen, this is where we get that. Because one, he is our great high priest. Two, because he is our Savior and Lord. And three, because of this precious promise of God. If our desires, if our wants, if our needs are in harmony with his, as he's stated in the previous two verses, he tacks on this phrase, whatever you ask in my name, so that God the Father might be glorified in the Son, you may ask me for anything in my name. And what? I will do it. Now, this is not the name it and claim it, grab it and blab it type of thing. This, this is not the full, uh, what is it they call it? The, uh, the, uh, the prosperity gospel. It might not be God's will that you be outstandingly rich. But it is God's will that you have life and you have it more abundantly. Spiritual richness can oftentimes overshadow all the problems of this world. What is it that he calls us to be a people of love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, patience, self-control? So that when things happen, when the world breaks apart around you, when the people who are your neighbors, who are your relatives, who are your friends, see that the house is caving in and yet you can look at it and say, God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. He might not have a mansion for me here. He is building me one over there. Somehow, there will be good that comes out of this situation. That's a peace of God that passes all understanding. And when people see that in you, they will start to get curious. Well, what does that mean? What does this person have that I don't? Why are riches avoiding them and yet they're happy? Why did their roof just came in and they're dancing, shouting for Jesus? What do they have that I don't? And that's our opportunity to live out 2 Peter where he tells us, be always ready to give an account of the hope that is within you. I'm glad you asked. Here's what I have and what you need. And his name is Jesus. You may ask me for anything in my name. And I will do it. So pray in the name of Christ, who is our high priest. Pray in accordance with his will for your life. Respecting his will for your life. Pray in obedience. Pray to be further committed to that cause. That your will and his, that your will is bent to his. Seeking after his will. Not our own. And what that does, practicing the presence of God, one, it reminds us of the fact that we do have an accountability to somebody that is greater than ourselves. Something that this world wants to deny vehemently. We even want to deny reality, that there is an objective reality, that we live in something where there are grounded rules. Prayer and the presence of God reminds us that there is an accountability that we can't shake. But it also reminds us of the love of God that he is there carrying us through. Even in our darkest hours, he gives us that light. He reminds us that there is a God who has power over our circumstances. And it reinforces our gratitude to him, our thanksgiving to him, which helps us to avoid the trap of pride, which is the foundation of all sin. Let me say that one more time. Write this down. Reinforcing, having the presence of God near us 
rejects the trap of pride. It disarms it like a bear trap. And by avoiding that, the, the, the presence of God, I'm trying to give you a quote that you can write down. The presence of God helps us to reject pride, which is the foundation for all sin. Also, it reminds us of the fact that even and especially in our darkest hours, we are never alone. In our darkest hours, we are not alone. So this should cause us to be revived in one capacity, that we should not only experience the presence of God, but we should desire it for others. And just as God has loved us, we must also love others. This is, the, it, this is the hallmark of a maturing Christian, is that you're not just a recipient of God's grace, you are also a dispenser of it. Jesus gives us this um, concluding lesson to this, would you teach us to pray request. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend. This, God hears you when you call. That's his message. Suppose you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey and has come to me and I have no other food to offer him. Now remember, this is very much a hospitality-driven culture, a what we would call an honor-shame type of culture. And this person uh, has travelers that have come from a long way and he has nothing to feed them, so he's experiencing shame. So he runs to a neighbor and he says, I need help. Suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. How many of us have ever come across a neighbor like that? But Jesus goes on, and this is Jesus putting his sense of humor on display. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet, because your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. In other words, if you knock long enough... What's going to happen? He's going to get up. <laughs> and he gives us this capstone to the sermon. I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks the door will be open. Which of your fathers? If your son asks for a fish... We'll give him a snake instead. This is two sermons for the price of one. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then being evil, notice that punch. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? The greatest gift that God can give anyone is one he offers freely. Greatest gift that God can offer anyone is one that he offers freely to all who ask. The gift of himself. The father who created you. The son who ransomed you with his own blood. The Holy Spirit who empowers you, sustains you, strengthens you, and guides you, even today. This is one last quote that I'll offer you, and he's an important person to remember in Baptist history. 
He was someone who grew disillusioned with the Roman Catholic Church and started a grandfather organization to what would become the Baptist movement. His name is Mino Simmons. And he writes to us, True evangelical faith cannot lie dormant. It clothes the naked. It feeds the hungry. It comforts the sorrowful. It shelters the destitute. It serves those that harm it. It binds up that which is wounded, and it has become all things to all creatures. Just as God has demonstrated mercy to you, be His hands and feet. Be that mercy to somebody else. Just as God has been merciful to you, be that same mercy for somebody else. And through that assistance, that might be the spark needed that will lead to that conversation where you can introduce them to Christ. God knows your needs and your wants before you even ask them. So before we go to pray, let's ask this of ourselves. What needs are really needed? What is in line with the will of God, in other words? What wants might not be good for me? If God says no to this, I need to have in the back of my mind that there is something else that God is doing which is for my good and His glory. Are my thoughts truly in alignment with God's? And can He answer prayer in another way? How many times have we heard stories of congregations that, that, that basically claim the reason that God didn't answer you in the exact way that you wanted is because you didn't have enough faith or you didn't pray hard enough or you didn't do X, Y, and Z. Let me tell you something. God does want the best for His children, but sometimes it's not the way that we desire for it to happen. Oftentimes, when someone passes away, that could be a mercy. Oftentimes, when we are in want of something, that very want teaches us a truth that we can hold on to later on in life or can teach to somebody else. God, all things, God works in all things for His glory and for the good of those who are called to His good purpose. I know I just butchered that quote, but let me explain that. No matter what's going on in your life, God is always there and He's always working. As a master chess player, He knows what is best for you. He designed you. He built you. The Bible describes you as being wonderfully and fearfully made by God. What is God afraid of? When the Bible says that you are wonderfully and fearfully made, take it for granted that means that God didn't just pour you into a mold and hammer you out. That He had an intention behind you. The way that you were constructed. And somehow, some way in a way that, that we don't even fathom, some good will come from it. He will find a way to make that happen. So ask yourself, if God says no, is, or if God isn't answering my prayer in a way that sounds right to me, can He be answering it in another way? God also desires to remember a personal relationship with us. Pray often after you discern things. Look for unexpected answers. Ways that He can answer your prayer in ways that you don't even think of. Even when you think things are lined up a certain way, God sees more 
Keep track of God's mercies in your life. What is that glorious old song of faith? Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Keep track of God's mercies in your life. And don't be passive. Don't just be a pew warmer. Seek opportunities to be blessed and to bless. You are the light of the world, Jesus tells us. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put a bushel over it. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. God desires that you reflect His life. If you've received mercy, then be. If you have healed, then be the person who helps to heal. If you've received charity, then be charitable. If you've been forgiven, then forgive. Demonstrate Christ to others. If you have been loved, then love. It's that simple. God desires a life of intimacy with Him. This, these are three things that we can take from this entire series of an image of Christ's life. Three summation points that I hope that you've gotten through this series and through this last message. God desires intimacy with you. He also desires your willingness to proclaim Him before others. Not just to be a hearer of the word, but a doer also. To be a person who doesn't just receive God's light, but who reflects it before others. Three simple ideas. Ideas profoundly given, demonstrated by a life. You have received that light. You have received that light in countless ways. He has shown you, O oh man, O oh mortal, what is good. What does our Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. It's a simple calling which we all share that can be boiled down to this one statement. You who have received the light of God, now reflect it before others. You want to grow this church. You want to see somebody in the pew next to you. You want to see your neighbors, your family members, your friends in heaven. It begins with these three simple facts. Number one, yourself be intimate with God because you can't, Share something with someone else that you don't have. Seek opportunities to be intimate with Him. Number two, just as you have received, give. Just as you have received, give. Be a proclaimer of His Word. Be willing 
to be obedient so that when that divine opportunity comes, when that appointment that God has made for you shows up and you have the opportunity to answer somebody's question about what makes you different, you are willing, able, and fully equipped to share with them. All you need to know is who was I before Christ? Who am I in Christ? What does my church do for me? That's it. It's not that complicated. But be, we have to be willing, we have to be obedient, we have to be able. Lastly, as you have been blessed, as you have received that light, demonstrate it before somebody else. If God has healed you, be part of the healing process for somebody else. It might not be physical, it might be something going on in somebody's heart or mind, but do it. If you've been loved, then love. If you've been forgiven, which we all have, then we do not have an excuse not to forgive. Now this goes counter to everything that this culture teaches us, but that's what the church is called to do. We are called to be the peacemakers in a world that's filled with hostility. We are called to be the unifiers in an age of pendulum swings where people either go all the way to the left or all the way to the right. Stop the pendulum. Bring people together. Remind them of the fact that there is one Lord, one faith, and say it with me, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And all God's people said. And Heavenly Father, as we come boldly before your throne one more time, as we transition from the service of the word to our time of invitation. Set ablaze within us a desire to be those messengers of peace that you've called us to be, to be the ambassadors of your love to a world that desperately needs it. Help us, help us to be the reason, to be the messenger, you are the reason, Help us to be the messenger that takes your gospel to a person who needs it before it is everlastingly too late. If there are any within the sound of my voice that have yet to come to know you in a free pardon of sin, Lord, if there are any that need a special touch of the Master's hand, a special prayer request, if there's any that are searching for a church home, if there are any who just need to know that you are near, Lord, whatever the, time, whatever the need is, Pour out yourself upon us during this time of invitation, Lord. Trouble the hearts of those who need to come to you, Lord, to rededicate, to be restored, just to know that you are near. Whatever the case may be, we dedicate this time in ourselves into your hands without any reservation. Use it as you will. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share His Word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person, to contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Visit us at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Once again, thank you, and God bless you.